Hello and welcome to the Permaculture Podcast with Scott Mann, a listener-supported program. My guest for this episode is Dr. Amanda Poole, an environmental anthropology professor from Indiana University of Pennsylvania. During our conversation today, Dr. Poole and I discuss the work of her and her students in partnering with the Indiana Community Gardens to create a site for community development. That work includes activities like seed swaps or the growing of culturally significant flowers to language development for foreign-born students and community residents. Like the conversation with Brad Ward about international development, I consider this interview important for all the ways we can engage using permaculture through culturally relevant means, all without needing to mention the P-word. We can engage people directly where they are and indirectly introduce the ideas and concepts of ecological design in permaculture. This provides a context for the work we do because that context matters in allowing people to see examples of what we are doing and in turn understand that design, permaculture, and community development all have a place in creating the world we want to live in. The work of Dr. Poole and her students at the Indiana Community Gardens provide one such model. Before we get to the interview, I would like to say that I'm in fundraising mode during the fall and need your help to get 2015 off to a good start. If you are in a place where you have some financial surplus in your life, please consider making a one-time or ongoing monthly contribution to the show. Find out how at www.thepermaculturepodcast.com slash support. I'd also like to thank Jen Mendez at permikids.com for her ongoing sponsorship of the program. She and I continue to have a dialogue about bridging the gap between children and adult learners in education and permaculture. Find out more about her work at permikids.com. There you will also find information about her series of Edge Alliance webinars as well as her educational design course. If you have an event, organization, or a personal interest in sponsoring an episode of the podcast, please let me know. Show at permaculturepodcast.com or call 717-827-6266. Now then, on to Dr. Poole. If you could give us a bit of your biography and background, how you came to do what you're doing, and then we'll talk about your work using community gardens for community development. Well, I am an environmental anthropologist. I graduated from the environmental anthropology program at the University of Washington in Seattle back in 2009. And at that point in time, most of my research was on actually the Horn of Africa, where I did some, I did extensive field work in Eritrea, looking at uh, state society relationships around resource management and community-based resource management in these multi-ethnic um, return refugee communities in the lowlands. And it seems like a far stretch, right, from Appalachia, where I'm now working. But in fact, there are many interesting parallels and lots of perspectives that I take from anthropology that I'm able to leverage to my work here in northern Appalachia with students on sustainable development projects in the communities around our campus. So some of the ways that these things transfer over still has to do with community-based resource management, thinking about how anthropological theories and perspectives and methods can help us to better understand and appreciate people's different kinds of connections to place, the ways in which their knowledge about the environment connects up to how people use and form and shape the environment around them, and then being inspired to look at these processes across cultures and across subcultures within our very own community. So there is uh, one thing that comes out of environmental anthropology is a deep appreciation for diversity, particularly 
the links between cultural and environmental diversity. So when we look at biocultural diversity, we're looking at the ways in which you know, people can foster diversity through their diverse practices in the landscape and in their communities and in communities where, you know, wilderness isn't just about protecting something that's outside, out there that you visit, you know, once a year on your vacation. You know, nature is something that, you know, our environment is our lived environment within our communities that connects up to our health, our quality of life, people's feeling that they can live in a place that values their perspectives and where they have some input into what happens. So those are sort of broad brush questions that, you know, I sort of take with me that inspire my work in environmental anthropology. I saw that happen in the Horn of Africa, and I actually see it happen in the community gardens around Indiana County. Yeah, so I started working at Indiana University of Pennsylvania in 2009. And a few years after that, I got, I was really fortunate to get an invitation to be involved in the Appalachian Teaching Project. The Appalachian Teaching Project is funded by the Appalachian Regional Commission. And the goal is to involve students at campuses across Appalachia, including this northern tier where we're living in western Pennsylvania. And it partner students with community organizations that are working on sustainable development projects. And that's exactly what we're doing this semester in my cultural ecology class. With your cultural ecology class, do I have that right? It's called cultural ecology because that's um, sort of the earliest work done in environmental anthropology uh, was done by Julian Stewart back in the 1940s in the Great Basins region of the Southwest, and he developed this whole field called cultural ecology that now inspires all of these other sort of forms of doing research in environmental anthropology. So the class is sort of looking back to that history and looking to see where people have gone since and thinking about the links between culture and ecology. So that really includes then the human elements in the broader science of ecology then? Right. Some threads of cultural ecology are inspired by work done in the discipline of ecology and thinking about how we can understand human beings as integral parts of ecosystems in a mutually constitutive fashion so that we can think about the impacts of the natural world on shaping or enabling different kinds of social cultural relationships. And then we can also think about human beings as fundamentally transforming their environments as well. I'm wondering about your cultural ecology class and what kind of projects and work that you're doing to integrate these ideas of environmental anthropology and research into the student studies along with this Appalachian program. We're excited to be embarking on our third year of involvement with the Appalachian Teaching Project. The first year, my cultural ecology class partnered with a local grassroots community organization. And what they did was they assisted this community organization in surveying its members and allies and supporters and asking them to kind of talk about quality of life in our community and then what sustainability means to our community, what the barriers might be towards carrying out projects that they saw affiliated with sustainable community building here, what the opportunities were. And so we created this kind of vision 
of asset-based sustainable development in Indiana by partnering with this great community organization. And what uh, we're doing this year is we're really carrying out some aspects of that earlier vision that was done in collaboration with community members. And that right now involves working with the community garden side by side. Students are volunteering at garden events, and there are so many of them. It's, It's really impressive. I suppose I should give you a little bit of background about the community garden in Indiana. It started only three years ago. And in that space of time, they have really grown uh, rapidly to become this hub for all kinds of community events, for educating people about sustainability and trying out all kinds of sustainable projects. And you name it, we've got rain barrels, composting and worm bins, a bat house, disease-resistant apple trees, native plants, a pollinator-friendly garden that exists year-round. They're really a catalyst for community action on developing and promoting all kinds of sustainable practices and also accessible local foods that are grown in Indiana. There's really exciting stuff happening there. And in talking with the community garden members, it became clear that this is a key point in the garden's development where they could use some kind of creative input from students and all of the energy that students bring with them. So in my class, the students are working with the community garden on a number of initiatives from helping them to plan and carry out events like a program that they have for international students where they come to the garden once a week to help out at the garden, meet people, speak English, learn about the community and the culture here to a seed swap where the garden is a hub and one of the major partners in a project to conduct the first annual seed swap in Indiana. And we're going to be hosting all kinds of community members to come and share their heirloom seeds and stories about those seeds. And the students are really integral parts of planning and carrying out these events and documenting them. And then finally, producing educational resources for the garden that can help the garden and its mission to become something of a hub for teaching people about all kinds of issues with local food, you know, sustainable food systems, and the ways that the garden is one project that connects up to all kinds of global issues. So that's the basic project that our students are working on this semester. And I've found that so far, it's really been valuable on many levels, right? It's a way to help illuminate much of the course material that we cover in our environmental anthropology class. So for instance, when students are learning about ethnoecology, they're learning about how people across cultures understand, learn about their environment, what they know about ecological relationships in their environment and how they work with them. Right? These are some of the ideas that are central to permaculture as well. Students are learning about that in this, at the same time that they're working at the community garden with master gardeners there to create soil, to make soil for the garden, you know, using like composting that they've been working on for the past three years, ground cover crops for the winter, 
So it's really exciting to help make those connections through these hands-on activities where students can you know, literally get their hands dirty, digging in the, the dirt and, and working alongside community members. Another way that I feel this garden project is so ideal for the learning opportunities for my students has to do with the ways in which they can connect the garden to these global issues with sustainable food systems, the contradictions that we see between factory farming, industrial monocrop agriculture, and the long tradition that people have had across cultures around the world in saving seeds and sharing them and cultivating diverse polycropping methods in order to harness and work with natural processes that today um, are increasingly replaced by you know, fossil fuel intensive inputs that are synthetic and ultimately not sustainable. So we can, you know, the students are able to kind of see what these alternative processes are, the kinds of social significance they have for people, and the kinds of community that are built around local food endeavors, which are substantial. People come together from diverse backgrounds, diverse uh, socioeconomic levels, and they work on these common projects that really does create ties between different people in the community. So it's, it's really fascinating. It connects up to all kinds of questions about not just environmental sustainability, but cultural sustainability and how valuable it is to invest in your local environment and your local economy and to build community through these kinds of projects. This is another way that my students have been able to plug into some of the cultural diversity efforts at the garden. So for example, on Fridays, students, international students at IUP who are involved with the American Language Institute go to the garden to help out with winterizing the beds, the fall harvest, you name it. And they, they work with students from my class and other community garden members uh, in order to, to not just do this work at the garden, but to learn about the culture here to share their own stories about where they come from um, and the kinds of foods that they grow back home and to become more, you know, ultimately, hopefully feel a sense of belonging in the Indiana community and help Indiana through the community garden welcome people from around the world that are attracted to our global campus. Uh, so it's a really fantastic way that the garden can become an inclusive landscape where people from different backgrounds can gather around shared interests and learn from each other about where they come from and what they know. You know, another good example of that kind of project at the garden is the way that the garden has been a hub for Day of the Dead festivities. You know, the Day of the Dead happening around Halloween time is a really important ceremonial event and festival you know, throughout Latin America. Um, we have a number of people on campus here who are celebrating Day of the Dead and teaching people about this festival here. And the Day of the Dead festivities involves local businesses, the garden, campus, community groups coming together in this really interesting event where the garden is a hub for all of this to happen. For instance, the garden is growing these heirloom marigolds that are these gorgeous 
really fragrant, you know, six foot tall marigolds that are part of Day of the Dead festivities around the world. And they're being grown right here in Indiana as a part of this festival on campus and in our community. One of the the Latin American student groups on campus has a plot at the garden where they cultivate all kinds of foods that they select to grow there. Many of them are culturally significant. And in the summer, when the students might not be around, garden members help out to get that food to a local restaurant where in exchange for the produce from these student plots, the restaurant gives these, these students vouchers to eat there so they can have you know, fresh local foods available to them during the school year. So you know, overall, I think that question of cultural and biological diversity converging is really just a fascinating one that helps to understand the vibrancy and the multiple significances of the garden here in our community. So that allows you to develop a cultural sense of place as much as a physical one. Absolutely. An inclusive cultural sense of place through increasingly, you know, all kinds of plants that are grown at the garden that are important to different kinds of people. Is that also part of the importance of sharing stories when you share seeds as part of the seed swap? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. With the seed swap, the idea is that it goes far beyond preserving genetic diversity, which is, of course, absolutely essential. But it also means that that genetic diversity, we need to acknowledge that it's there because of cultural diversity, these long-standing ties to place, ties to landscape, ties to communities that people have fostered for generations. And so the kinds of things that support communities also support biological diversity when it comes to saving seeds. So in the seed swap, my students will be helping to record what people know about the seeds, why they value them, how they use them, and not just in an instrumental way, which is important, of course. You know, we need to know about how to cultivate these particular kinds of seeds, but it's also about the kinds of social practices and meanings um, and attachments people have that have helped to foster that kind of genetic diversity in our region. And then that helps us to un- better understand what we can do to support that beyond just banking the seeds in a seed bank. Unrelated to that, I was wondering what kind of both an academic as well as a cultural background your students come from. Well, most of my students are anthropology majors or minors, and so they bring with them an interest in cultural diversity and understanding you know, how the environment has shaped different kinds of human practices and identities and, and vice versa. So, you know, I'm really working with just a fantastic group of students, I have to say. (laughs) They're some of the best on campus. They have just such curiosity and, you know, they bring a lot of um, different varied interests with them to the the class. I hope that none of the other students on campus hear that. Or maybe they want to switch to being anthropology majors. (laughs) One of more... If you will, practical level, I was wondering if you might have any suggestions for someone who would want to start a community garden project like this in order to help bring about this kind of diversity and integration within their community. It's one of the conversations that's ongoing within the permaculture community is about how we can be more inclusive and step beyond the bounds of just our landscape design in order to do a lot of that social and cultural design 
to bring more people into the process of creating a better world? What a great question. I think looking to other gardens as models, right, is, is really the key there. I think that the Indiana Community Garden is a fantastic model for how to kickstart a project like that. But I don't think there is any one right way necessarily. In the course of doing this project, I've encountered folks from other communities who are talking about their community garden projects and the, all the varied ways that they've gotten started from you know, the endeavors of one committed person who then builds out these the sort of networks across different community groups to a much more sort of inclusive project from the outset where a bunch of different people come together and share a vision or create a shared vision. I think there's so many different ways that this can happen. I think it just needs to be contextual for and appropriate to that context. The, the one great thing about it is that people's passions really bring them together when it comes to local food issues, when it comes to gardening, when it comes to sustainability. So I think that when you can make those connections across communities and across regions, between people working on community gardening projects in their locations, you can see the ways in which this goes beyond just a single place like Indiana. It connects Indiana to a global movement. You know, that's very exciting. You know, you see these projects happening all over the place now, and I really believe that the Indiana Community Garden can serve as a kind of model or educational hub that will inspire projects in other places. And I will say this, the Community Garden brought it onto the radar here in Indiana that this was a possible project, and now you have other gardens cropping up in Indiana, and they're inspired by this first initial seed project. So it sounds then like these community garden efforts that you've been involved in kind of started a very individual, small human scale, then developed to more of a community level. And then as it reaches the community, becomes part of the larger culture of what you're working with and then allows it to connect into the global network of local food, community gardens, and other human and food-based issues. Absolutely. And when they got started three years ago, there was a lot of doubt about this project working here. Would people steal produce from the garden? You know, would you have enough people who have the time to commit to it? People didn't know if this was a possible thing. And then having the garden take off like it did has then created new possibilities for other projects around our area. So now we see community gardens starting up all over the place, and it's because of this one initiative. And you were saying that there were some doubts there. Did you meet any other resistance in this process? I think it was more just an overall fear about trying something new and investing time and resources into an unproven project. Would the community support it? Would it really work here? And it turned out that it not only worked, it's really been you know, thriving and has been a catalyst for all kinds of other connections and projects. Now the community garden has become a key player in getting people to cultivate foods to donate to local food banks. So they're really connecting up to human service organizations, schools where schools send their kids to the garden for various activities, a taste and tour night where local chefs and restaurants will come and use produce from the garden and teach people how to prepare it and share the food. So, you know, you've seen that 
all kinds of things are possible that people didn't know were possible. And it's, it's because, you know, of this, this sort of one small project that really has changed how people think about their community here. One of the other threads within the conversations with permaculture is about moving from a scarcity mindset to an abundance-oriented mindset. And a lot of times that has to do with physical resources. But it sounds like you're also getting a lot of that kind of movement when it comes to the cultural resources and these non-material forms of capital. That is such a beautiful way to put it. (laughs) I think I hadn't thought about it in that way before, but it fits so nicely with what's been going on here. Well, I'm glad to be able to add something. As I said at one point in our conversation, which I don't think is part of the interview proper, my original major going into college was sociology and anthropology. I just love the study of people and groups and the way that we come together and organize and accomplish different things and what that means for the stories that we tell. And it's nice to have a conversation in this way that focuses on that in a meaningful way that moves us even though the gardens are part of the landscape, away from that to understand the different places where we can make a difference and influence such a beautiful, bountiful way to move forward. Yes, wonderful. And, you know, coming out of anthropology with these cross-cultural studies, it leads us to really question the dominant narrative that human beings are inherently destructive and um, acquisitive and you know, greedy, and where we go, we you know we disturb the environment. And you know, in environmental anthropology, we see that across cultures, in fact, there's nothing inherent in that kind of relationship. There's all kinds of ways that people have cultivated long-term, sustainable, sensitive <laughs> relationships to the natural world. So it's it's in some ways it's a very hopeful field, and it's been really a pleasure and a privilege to be able to involve students in learning about that through an applied project here in Indiana. One thing I didn't ask earlier, is this at the undergraduate level or do you also include graduate students in this kind of work? This is mostly undergraduate, although we do have a few graduate students in the class. I think we've covered everything that I wanted to touch on in our conversation today. I know we're foreshortened a little because of some of technical difficulties that we had, but as we draw things to a close, do you have any final thoughts to add for the listeners? A final thought. I'd like to thank you so much for the opportunity to share some of the you know, insights that we've been getting as we are involved with the Appalachian Teaching Project. I think that these kinds of things are fantastic to support. And, and really, you know, it's not just about one small garden. It's, it's amazing how one small garden can have this ripple effect that makes all kinds of other things possible. And as we all continue to do that work, all of those small stones that we toss to create those little ripples become bigger and bigger as they add together and become waves as we do what it is we care and love in the world. And thank you, Dr. Poole, for coming and speaking with me because there's so much good work being done that I know sometimes it feels like it gets lost in the peer-reviewed journals or in the halls of academia and that the public doesn't get to hear about what's really being done and how universities and education are really helping to advance many of these ideas and that we can come together and work together to create a better world. Absolutely. But thank you for joining me today and having this conversation. I look forward to sharing it with my listeners and the world at large. Thank you so much. And that was Dr. Amanda Poole, Professor of Environmental Anthropology at Indiana University of Pennsylvania. As an educator, 
with a focus on environmental education. One of the things that I like about what Dr. Poole is doing is that in this community development program, she's providing a hands-on multidiscipline approach to learning. Here, students are able to take what they're learning in the classroom, share it with others, and see the direct impacts of their education and work. I like that it's more than just a narrow niche to focus on, but broadly based in the community. David Holmgren and others have said that permaculture wasn't originally intended to just be about design and teaching, but much, much more. That each of us might have several areas that we specialize in, as well as having a generalized background in the system of design. Chapter 14 of the Designer's Manual offers a similar message about this breadth of permaculture. Let's take what we know, take what we're good at, and bring it forth into the world in a way that cares for this earth that we live on, for all life, in a way that shares the surplus freely. If this is something you're already doing or would like help getting started with, I'm here to help. If I don't have an answer, I know plenty of people in the community who do. Together we can work to create a better world by design. So, get in touch. Call 717-827-6266. Email show at thepermaculturepodcast.com. You can also join in the conversations at facebook.com slash thepermaculturepodcast or follow the show on Twitter where I am at permaculturecst. The podcast also now has a YouTube channel and I'll include a link to that in the show notes. Until the next time, spend each day making the world around you the place you want to live by taking care of Earth, yourself, and each other.